0: So thank you again. I appreciate that. Now, what I want to do is I want to turn my attention to probably just a little bit of a devotional thought this morning, more than a full-on sermon, because here at the end of this, uh, the, uh, the time today, we're going to do communion as well. So what I want to do today is last, for the last two weeks, Pastor Dan's been on vacation, and Tanner and I have filled in. The very first week that I got the opportunity to speak and preach to you guys was, we, we went into this idea of biblical assurance on how we know we know God, how we know we know scripture, how we know we know the Lord, and that's found in 1 John, that was two weeks ago, I think Tanner titled that thing, that message, Biblical Assurance, Okay. Last week, Tanner brought a great message in, basically out of the book of Romans, which is, listen, for a young man to have the courage to preach out of the book of Romans chapter 1 is pretty powerful. And that's the confidence that he also has being raised up by Pastor Dan in his church on to bring a message forth. But he brought this forth on how to glorify God and how to give thanks to him. So what I want to do this morning is I want to take those two thoughts and I want to squish them together for just a second. How we have a biblical assurance that we can know we know God. How we follow His commands. How we love one another. That's found in 1 John chapter 2. If you want to go read that, that'll kind of give you a little bit of an idea of what that looks like. Last week with Romans 1, Tanner talked about this, how to glorify God and give thanks to God. Because we know we know Him. We glorify Him and give thanks to Him. And when you bring those two together, those two thoughts together... This morning what I want to do is I want to kind of tie a bow, put a bow on this thing if I can put it that way of what this looks like now to have biblical assurance on what do we do with this. Okay, I know I know him, I want to honor him and I want to glorify him and give him thanks, but now how does this look living this out? How do we go forward in this? How do we have biblical assurance that what I'm doing in my life is the right thing to do before God? So as John David said this morning, when I get to heaven, I don't have anything on my account that I've got to worry about with God because of the way I've been behaving on this side of heaven. Because I really believe we sang this morning, thank you, Father, for giving us your son, right? If we understand that and we really grab a hold of this opportunity and this idea of being saved from hell, Christ drinking the cup of wrath that was meant for me, that should change how we behave. Not to earn anything, But to glorify him, exactly what Tanner taught us about last week. So what I'd like you to do is briefly, let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 16. is where we're going to look at this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 16. And what I want to do this morning is similar to what I did with uh, the gospel or the uh, 1 John. I want to let Paul tell us what he thinks we should be doing. The apostle Paul's words, I've been praying that God would help me echo that temperament, echo those words, echo that command that he gives us out of Scripture to us this morning. So 1 Corinthians chapter 16 is where we'll be looking in just a minute. The Apostle Paul wrote this book while he was in Ephesus. He was just finishing up his third year of ministry in in the city of Ephesus is when he wrote this. But I found this really interesting, too. When you look at the Apostle Paul's life, he was redeemed. He met Jesus on the road to Damascus somewhere around 34 AD. Then what he did in 49 AD is when he planted the church in Corinth. So I find it interesting time-wise because we think sometimes it's like well that happened and then that happened. No, Paul met Jesus on the road to Damascus in 30 about 34 AD. He eventually works his way into the into Corinth and plants a church, what we call the Corinthian church around 49 AD, and then he writes this letter back to them about 55 AD. So you watch all this progression as you're going through this and it starts to Help me, like we said last time I got to preach, understanding what the book is written for, who it's written to, when it's written. And it helps me understand kind of the context of which everything is written in Scripture that way. So looking at all that, um, Ephesus and Corinth were both um, port cities, very, very much steeped in paganism. And I think Corinth really represents America well today if I can put it that way, because it was steeped in paganism. It was very wealthy, very popular, very impactive in the community and around the world at that time. But Paul received a report about the Corinthian church. He received a report from when he was in Ephesus about the Corinthian church, uh, how they're they're struggling with some stuff, and they're fighting with these these different ideas about division in the church, sexual immorality, idolatry, doctrinal confusion. They even fought over who they were going to follow. It would be like this this morning. This part of the church over here says, I follow Pastor Dan. This part of the church here says, I follow Tanner. And you poor souls have got to follow me. That's really what the Corinthians were doing. They had Paul, they had Apollos, and they had Cephas, which we know as Peter. They had division within the church because they had different mindsets. Christ was not the center of what they did. They let all the political stuff out there, all the landscape, all the cultural stuff start to seep into the church. We can't do that. We've got to be about Christ's business and his business alone. Do all those things out there matter? Yes, in a sense. But in here, we can't bring all the different divisions out there and bring them into a church because that's what the church of Corinth was doing. And it was causing division within them. They were following different people. They They were celebrating sin. They even turned communion, which we'll be doing in just a few minutes. They turned that into a party. Can you imagine if we just had a party and we're drinking and getting drunk over communion this morning? Over what Jesus Christ has done for us through his body and his blood? That's what the Corinthian church was doing. That's what we see in this. So that's why Paul, he heard about this. That's why he wrote this letter to them. He wrote the letter to them, really getting them to understand that they need to be unified. We have to be unified as a church, We cannot be divided over the color of carpet or the chairs or the paint on the walls or whatever it might be. We have to be unified, and that's why Paul wrote this letter to them to set them straight, to discipline them a little bit, to chew them out some over the dumb things they were doing, and to get them to understand we're unified in Christ, and we do that by encouraging one another in Christ, by encouraging one another in the body. When you look across the room and you see someone struggling, you encourage them. So that's really what is going on within the book of Corinthians, the first Corinthians. What I'm going to look at this morning in chapter 16 is almost in a sense this. You're the Corinthian church for just a moment. And if I can just pretend that I'm the apostle Paul for a minute, I'm going to give you a charge as a general would give you a charge in battle. And he's saying these things to his church that he planted, who he loves, he's telling them, this is the way you're supposed to behave. After the whole book of First Corinthians was written, he gets down to chapter 16. He starts talking about giving and then all of a sudden he shifts. He starts talking about giving and how Apollos wasn't going to come at this time. And then there's a shift. And it's almost like one of those moments when you're looking at your kids and you're talking to them and you know they can't hear you. They're looking right at you, but they're not hearing anything you're saying. And I get the idea that Paul's like this. Out of everything I've told you, out of everything I said through this whole letter that I wrote you, here's what's most important. This is going to frame it in on what I want you to do with everything I've told you. Because sometimes we've all been to conferences or where there's motivational speakers and we see all this stuff in our life we're supposed to change, right? And you get home and you're just overwhelmed at what that might be. Paul does something that I heard taught a long time ago. When you do that, take 10%, start with 10% of what you need to change and work on that first and then grow out from there. So Paul's told the Corinthian church about all these different things they need to do differently for Christ. And then he brings it all the way back to this little bit and these five commands that he gives the Corinthian church. And I'm just going to use the commands as the points this morning, okay? But what he's telling them, these are a command from their general. This is what you do going forward. And I want you to hear in the Greek, these are all present tense commands. So in other words, they're continuous. We're supposed to continue to do these things that Paul encourages the church with that we're going to talk about in the next few minutes. So 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 13 and 14 is what we'll look at this morning. And it says this. I I got this out of the ESV is what, what I'll be reading out of this morning. Be watchful. Now think, be the church, he's read all this letter about division, sexual immorality, idolatry, all the different doctrinal differences, and he gets it right down to the crux of this. Be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong, and let all that you do be done in love. I should just be able to put a period at the end of that and we should be able to go home, but I'm a preacher and I get paid to do this, so you get to hear more this morning. I'm going to look at this. The first thing is this, be watchful. Other versions will say, be alert, be on your guard, watch. Remember, these are all present tense. Be watching, be guarding, be a defender of your faith. Be alert in what you do. Peter, I like how Peter does this because really we're supposed to be watchful against the enemy. We're supposed to be watchful against the supernatural foe that wants to steal, kill, and destroy your relationship in Christ if you know him. I want this message this morning, just let me pause real quick. Just this little bit that I'm going to share. If you're doing this, I want this to be an encouragement to you that you keep going. Don't give up. Don't grow weary in your well-doing. If you're doing these things, keep going. And remember, you go by the power of the Holy Spirit and by the grace of God. And if you're sitting around and you're not doing much and you're thinking, man, I really need to start, start. Let God help you. And if you're in this room this morning, you may be going, who's Jesus? I don't even know this guy you're talking about. I don't even know what the indwelling of the Holy Spirit is. Hopefully you'll capture the rhythm of how we are supposed to live when we're that way. And you look at your life and then you look at the life of a Christian and you go, I want what he's got or I want what she's got, not what I'm living in any longer. So be watchful against the enemy. Peter says it this way. It says in 1 Peter 5.8, he says, be alert, sober-minded. Your enemy, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. We should anticipate being attacked. But when we are, we go, How'd that happen? I'm walking with God. I'm doing everything He's telling me to do. How can this happen? Because we have a supernatural foe, and at times, God lets things happen in our life to build our faith. But we should walk around acting like we're going to be attacked. Be alert. Be on guard. Be ready that, you're, that you know when these attacks come, you know what to do with them and how to defend against them. We're in a battle, and we need to be spiritually alert. The other thing is, be watchful against apathy. Man, can we see apathy in the church, the Christian church today? People are sleeping. Wake up, oh sleeper. We're in a battle and the devil's doing a masterful job at trying to get us as the church to be more encouraged or more find what's out there more important than what's in here. What we do in here, should we should go out there and that should permeate our culture. That should change our culture because what we talk about in here on a Sunday morning. Shouldn't it? Shouldn't it not make a difference out there what we do here? See, what we're doing out there, we want that out there to make a difference in here. And it doesn't work that way. And the only way that happens is when we're apathetic. When we're sitting back on our laurels as Christians and we're like, got it going on, Paul says, I've not achieved what I'm after yet. We got to remember to not be apathetic, continue to fight. God makes it very clear in Revelation 3. If you're lukewarm, I'll spit you out of my mouth. And that idea of being lukewarm in that is taken out of context a lot, and I don't have time to get into all that this morning. But this means it means this, you're useless. Lukewarm water in that culture was useless. It wasn't cold and refreshing, and it wasn't warm and therapeutic. It was useless. Are you a useless? I love you. I really do. My wife's telling me all the time, Dan, I'm like, I love you. But are you a useless Christian? Look at your life. It's not for me to say. It's for me to share what God's laid on my heart with you guys. He's asked me this before I get to ask you this. Are you useless? Are you lukewarm? Because if you are, God's going to spit you out. Be watchful for false teaching. I'm so proud of our students that they recognize false teaching when they see it. Yeah, the leaders did what we were supposed to, but the students already recognize false teaching. Man, that's powerful. Paul taught the Corinthian church, you don't need to be circumcised. It's about Christ and grace. Circumcision a thing of the past. We looked at 1 John was dealing with the Gnostics. How it, you needed a higher and super kind of knowledge or secret knowledge. You don't need that. You need Jesus. And we have the Holy Spirit to teach us all that we need to know. Be watchful in prayer. Devote yourselves. Colossians 4 says, devote yourself in prayer. Being watchful and thankful. Being watchful and thankful in prayer on your knees. Jesus asked his disciples, come and pray with me for one hour. He says, watch and pray. He says, that you may not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Be watchful for the Lord's return. Are you living like he's coming back? Because he came back right now. What would he, would you go? Would he accept you? Or would you hear the words? I didn't know you go away, depart from me. And be watchful of spiritual compromise. We cannot compromise where we're at. I would put it this way. <laughs> be vigilant and always remember that the enemy's at hand. He even told. It even says at the end of Luke when Jesus was tempted in the desert for 40 days and 40 nights. The devil left for a more opportune time. Until we get to heaven, we're going to deal with temptation. Don't flinch. I went out and did my concealed carries, concealed carry class here a couple weekends ago. And I went out there, and there was a young lady. We were always kind of lined up next to each other during shooting. And this girl, would, she didn't understand her pistol that much, and the trainer was helping her, and she would pull the trigger, and nothing would happen. And she never flinched. I would pull the trigger, and I'd be like, "Ah," if nothing happened. I'd flinch. I don't know about you guys, but I do that a lot. Don't flinch. And don't take a break. Don't take a break. The second thing is this. Stand firm in your faith. The early church, like us, faced a lot of challenges in their spiritual walk. They were under attack all the time. They had paganism. They had false idolatry. They had all kinds of things in their culture that they were living in and were called out of that kept trying to drag them back. Sound familiar? We were once living in that. We're no longer living in that. Our hearts don't belong there anymore, but now we're called in here. But that drawback all the time because of our flesh, because of a carnal heart, that drawback all the time, that's what they were going through. First Peter 5, 9, when you continue the thought that I just spoke about, it says, Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of suffering. When we suffer and we're tempted, we're not alone. We got brothers and sisters in Christ all in here and all around the world that are going through the same thing, which encourages me to stand firm in my faith. I got to stay there. So what is faith? Faith is, according to Hebrews 11, verse 1, faith is the assurance of what we hope for and the certainty of what we do not see. Assurance and certainty, and here's what it is. Paul explains this to the Corinthian church in chapter 15. I'm going to read this a little longer section of scripture. It says, "Now brothers and sisters, I want you guys to listen to close what he says to them. Now brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel that I preached to you, which you have received and which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved. If you if you hold firmly to the word that I preached to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. For what I have received I passed on to you as what first importance." Listen, this is the most important thing in your life as a Christian, Paul says, that I'm about to read. Of first importance that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. And that he was buried and he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And then he appeared, to, he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. And after that he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time. Most of who are still living, Paul says. though some have fallen asleep that have died. Then he appeared to James and to the apostles, and to the last, he appeared to me also as one abnormally born. Stand firm in your faith. This is true. By faith, we believe that this is true. Did I see this? No. But when you study scripture, it's reliable, it's trustworthy, and it's dependable. We need to stand firm in this, that we know, we know that we know. And Richard Taylor puts it this way, where there is this kind of faith, there is a willingness to act on the truth. Your faith, like John David said earlier, should lead into some sort of action. It should, you should be willing, willing to lead this and live this out to his glory. This is really about trusting God's word. I'm reminded about the shield of faith and how those shields would lock in together. And that they were not alone. Those shields, would, they were developed. The Roman soldiers, soldiers' shields were meant to lock in together so that they could stand their ground. You're not standing firm alone. You're standing firm with your brothers and sisters in Christ when you live this way. The third one is act like men. Be courageous. Be brave. Simply put, stop acting like children, men, and start being men. Be a man of God. Now, this really means to not act like a child. So, ladies, you're involved in this as well. Basically, grow up and be an adult is what he's telling us here. Mature, mature leadership was needed in the city of Corinth. You guys believe that today? We need mature leadership, don't we? We need it in the church and out of the church. So act like men. Don't act like children. Paul says, I'm no longer a child. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I acted like a child. But but when I became a man, I put away my childish ways. I laid them aside. I don't do that anymore. Let me put it this way. Childish behavior in its core of what it is is selfishness. I want it. Men, selflessness. Selflessness. We're supposed to live sacrificially as our Savior lived. We're supposed to live self-sacrificially for our families and for our brothers and sisters, and we do it to God's glory, and that's by His grace that we live that way. So we got to make sure that we're acting like men. A man does this, a spiritual man, keeps his nose in the Bible, keeps his knees bent, and his eyes fixed on his Savior. Ladies, it's no different for you. You keep your nose in your Bible, folks, and you keep your knees bent in this fight because we do not fight against flesh and blood. We fight against supernatural powers of the dark realm. You fight like men by keeping your nose in your Bible, your knees bent, your eyes on your Savior. The fourth one is this, be strong. Again, this is strengthening. This means that I'm going on, and it's not strong in your own strength, folks. Because Paul told them they were carnal. The Corinthian church was carnal. They were still fleshly. He called them saints, but you're carnal. Our pastor's always teaching us about how to have a purified heart. They had not gotten there yet, so they couldn't fight in their own strength. Ephesians 6.10 says it this way, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. In His mighty power. If you're saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, you have the Holy Spirit of God dwelling in you. Do you understand that? The same power that rose Jesus from the grave dwells in you. You Tell me you can't. If you're not doing it, it's because you don't want to. Stop trying to be strong in your own strength. Depend on God. It says in 1 Peter 5.10, And the God of all grace, who's called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you've suffered a little while, will he himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. God will do that for you if you let him. But we got to cooperate with him. Paul makes it clear that all these commands listed above are in the present tense. They're ongoing. They're continuous. But they must be balanced with love. And I want to close with this and then we'll lean into communion here in just a moment. Paul says in verse 14, let all that you do be done in love. Let all that you do be done in love. This is not Hallmark movie love, folks. This is a choice to do exactly. Exactly like Julie talked about just a few minutes ago. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And then we love others as ourselves. The motivating factor behind all of this that Paul talked about this morning is love. The motivating factor behind all of this is to love God first. Love his word first. And then love our neighbors as ourselves. Because if we do that, God will help us to know how we're supposed to love our neighbors. That's the motivating factor. As we lean into communion this morning, I want to close with this. Beloved, I'm going to give you three scriptures out of of 1 John. Chapter 4, verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another because love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Another one is this. 1 John, and this is 1 John 3.16. 1 John 3.16 says this. This is how we know what love is. You ready? You ever wonder what love is, fellas? Because listen, us guys struggle with this one a little bit. I don't even know what love is because I watch it on TV and the movies, and they tell me it's supposed to be this emotional thing. No. Here's what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. Don't tell me you can't. Jesus Christ laid down his, love, his life for us. That's what love is. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. That's love. That's agape love. That's making a choice to love. And the last verse is this, 1 John 4, 19. We love because he first loved us. So in other words, young people look at me, and I'm gonna close with this. If you think you're in love, the one you're in love with better love God first because otherwise they don't know what biblical love is. Does that make sense? If you're dating, you're in a relationship and you ask yourself, well, I know he or she, they don't go to church, but I think they love God. And I think, no, if they don't love God first, they don't know what biblical love is. And if they don't know what biblical love is, you're going to run into the wall in your relationship. So all of these things that the apostle Paul commands them to do Be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong and let all that you do be done in love. That's the assurance of what we should be living our lives out like today. Does that make sense? Let's pray. Father in heaven, you're good. And I am very grateful, Lord, that you've given us the opportunity to look back over our shoulder into scripture. There's something that was penned so long ago, but Lord, seems so just extremely relevant today. Help us not to take these words for granted. Help these words not to just roll off us like a duck, like water on a duck's back, but help us to absorb them into the core of our heart and allow your Holy Spirit to minister to us, to brand these things on our hearts so we know with assurance that we're walking the way you would have us walk. And we always do that by your grace and to your glory. And I pray that we always do it in love. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.